Welcome back to Master the Marketplace with Caspian. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Master the Marketplace with Caspian where we talk everything e-commerce, marketplaces, both here in the United States as well as globally. Very few people have not read this publication. And if you are in the world of e-commerce and, and interacting in, with e-commerce in any given way, I am almost sure that you've come across Retail Touchpoints. It's a premier publication when it comes to the world of e-commerce that keeps us up to date on the latest and greatest in the industry. And today with us on the show to talk to us more about state of the industry, where it has been, where it is today and where it's gone is the editor of Retail Touchpoints for their e-commerce division, Nicole Silverstein. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Fantastic. So, Nicole, to get started, would love for us to just tell you, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. You know, how did you start in this career and how did you get to being the editor for e-commerce uh, at Retail Touchpoints? Yeah. Well, I've always been passionate about journalism, you know, back from like even high school days um, working on the newspaper. So I my first um, one of the first professional jobs I got out of college was covering the brand licensing industry, which is really intimately tied to the world of retail um, coming at it from a perspective of branding and IP. So uh, now at Retail Touchpoints, I cover specifically the e-commerce segment, although it's getting harder and harder to distinguish between, you know, e-commerce and other retail, um, particularly over these last couple of years. So while my, my beat is e-commerce, um, I'm kind of covering retail from all angles now for Retail Touchpoints. See, that's a really good point that you made. And, you know, something I certainly want to get into because... I mean, I don't even look at it as e-commerce and brick and mortar anymore. I just look at it as commerce. And these are all connected channels. If you call it omni-channel or whatever, at the end of the day, consumers are shop shopping across uh, various touch points. And that includes brick and mortar, that includes like, social media, that includes marketplaces, websites, Google, et cetera. And uh, these are all potential purchase points for the consumer. Yeah. Uh, in an overarching brand that, you know, that brand should be thinking about. What's your opinion on, on that shift that we are seeing around, you know, there are not these distinct channels, but they're, they're really just one omni-channel like experience. Yeah. I think, I think you hit on one of the really critical shifts in the consumer mindset that's happening right now. Consumers, as you mentioned, they don't, they don't see these as separate entities anymore. They see a brand and whether they're on that brand's website or in that brand's store or on that brand's app, they expect to have the same type of experience. They expect to be able to move between those channels seamlessly. They expect it to be frictionless. They expect the retailer to know you like when you go in a store, they expect them, consumers expect that the retailer knows a little bit about experiences you had on their website, experiences you had in, in their app as a loyalty member. So consumers now are channel agnostic. They don't see e-commerce brick and mortar, even though we still talk about it a lot. And I do, I am starting now after all the focus the last couple of years on e-commerce, um, obviously just because of the explosion and growth and the development that happened in that space, 
I am starting to hear now people kind of shifting more toward talking about omni-channel, but in a way that captures what you were saying, where it's not about having multiple channels anymore. It's about, we already have all, you know, any retailer worth their salt already has multiple channels. Now what omni-channel means and what the focus is, is creating a connection between those channels and creating a seamless experience for customers, no matter where they come to you. Yeah, yeah, that you know, single experience that's personalized to each consumer at the end of the day across all these different channels is I think really where retailers should be focusing their attention in the future and not, like you said, these distinct number of channels and, you know, we just manage each of these channels separately. I think that was the old definition of omni-channel and we are moving to this new definition at some level. Right, omni-channel 2.0. Now you have all the channels. You have to bring them all together. And I think it's really important too, because we have been talking about e-commerce so much, but it is still a small portion of sales. 70% or so of sales still happen in stores and people still want to shop in stores, but they expect to be able to do, they expect to be able to shop on your website while they're in your store, you know? So they really just, to a consumer, it all is one thing. It is the retail brand. It's not about for them, the channel, they're going to do whatever's convenient for them in the moment. Great. Great. So no doubt that is one shift. I know I'm seeing, I know you're seeing, are there any other major trends that you would say are that you've seen post this COVID, you know, couple of years that we've been through where, you know, the whole world of e-commerce has changed. I mean, let's talk about a few of them. I know one that comes to mind is these supply chain disruptions. Like, what are your views? Do you think they're going to, it's going to get back to normal? Is this the new normal? Should we all be operating knowing that there's going to be supply chain issues for the foreseeable future? What What are your opinions on that supply chain crisis that we've all been seeing? Yeah, I don't, I don't think the period that we're in is normal by any means. I think you could kind of consider it like a hundred year flood a series of conditions. It will even out. It's going to take time. It's it's going to be well into probably 2023 before we start to feel as if things are back to normal. What will never be normal again, I think, is retailers' prioritization, prioritization and approach to how they do inventory. I think this this set of very unique circumstances surfaced a lot of issues in the way that retailers we're managing their uh, ordering and their logistics and their shipping operations. And I think everybody is now focused on resolving those issues so that if and when some other challenges crop up again down the line, they're prepared, they have a more flexible system that can respond more easily. There's no ignoring this aspect, which is admittedly kind of the less sexy side of the retail operation. And yet, incredibly critical as we're seeing to customer retention, loyalty, conversion, all of that. So I think what will never go back to normal is retailers attitude and approach toward this side of their business. I agree. I agree. When you think about even just e-commerce and the more traditional definition, you know, people always think, well, it's a digital marketing play. We've got to think about, you know, branding and customer acquisition and retention and all those pieces. But in order to be able to facilitate that, you need to really have a robust supply chain. And I think yeah. the whole COVID 
um, situation really opened all our eyes to that, right? They're saying that you have to put a lot of attention to the supply chain. Folks like Amazon did well, you know, in a way because, oh, well, but, you know, they were able to mitigate a lot of it better at some level because they've always been a supply chain company first. And in fact, in their latest Q3 results, they talked a little bit about how they're taking more control of the supply chain. And so trying to avoid, you know, like utilizing their own containers, their own freight, as opposed to partnering with others so they can control it a little better. So in, in, in any case, to, to your point, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And everyone has to start thinking about a very robust supply chain strategy. Well, and I do think it's a very different picture, whether you are a large uh, organization like a Walmart or an Amazon, the resources that those large retailers had to mitigate the impact of this is, is not comparable to what the smaller mid-tier retailers had at their disposal. I mean, Walmart was um, commissioning charter ships for their shipments. I mean, that's not something that a local, a local shop was able to do. So um, there is a little bit of a big guy versus little guy situation here where, yeah, we're going to see these, you know, and we've already seen with Walmart and Target and their predictions for their holiday sales, they're, they're going to be fine. Their inventory levels were fine and their sales are going to be great. Um, so it is, it is a little bit of a, a big versus small too. Those big guys were able to do, to take some really extreme measures that uh, most retailers were not able to do. Yeah, I, I think I think you're spot on there too. You know, even in places where you know predictability on sales was off, for example, you know, and if you want to err on the side of caution and maybe buy more inventory, the big guys have access to a strong balance sheet and you know cash to be able to do stuff like that. Or the small person just can't, right? You don't have access to to all those cash balances and access to a lender, etc. So. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. But uh, yeah, we'll see how this plays out. But I, I think I, I think you're right. We'll we'll hopefully get back to normal. But it's going to take some time. I don't know if that's a. You know, it's, it's in my view, it's it's probably closer to the end of Q 2022 or so. But we'll see. We'll see how it plays yeah. out. I saw. Yeah. I think Euromonitor said uh, something similar just recently. They're predicting, um, you know, mismatches between supply and demand through 2022. Right. So, right. Yeah. 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 So what I did, yeah, you know, what? I just it just reminds me though. I did see a really funny um, post from the Onion about it, where they said <laughs> something like the White House warns that that supply chain issues are going to make Americans discover the true meaning of Christmas, <laughs> which, <laughs> which made me laugh. And I do think consumers are aware also that these are unusual circumstances, and I think they are going to be understanding, especially with their local retailers about these situations that are really in many ways out of their control. So I, I think that retailers have that on their side. Supply chain has become a topic of mainstream conversation now. I agree. I agree. And it's good. In a way, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm actually glad it's coming up to the surface because it's such a critical piece. Right. You know, I was also doing a survey on you know, the tools that are available out there for to manage supply chain. And I really think there's a disconnect even there in the kind of innovation that's happening on the supply chain side relative to on the front end, on the demand side, where you have all these tools around advertisement management and branding. And But, you know, how many tools available on the market to help retailers, brands, et cetera, with the supply chain issues? Yeah. No, not too many. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there, too, that I, I think maybe, you know, the innovative community, the venture community can solve. Yeah. So, Nicole, what... 
you know uh, we talked about a couple of trends you know you're just around you know uh, of of course just where the industry is going omni channel talked about supply chain is there any trends that are troubling you you know are these good are they bad what are your what are your views on just hey i'm i'm seeing certain trends that i'm a little worried about you know a good classic example is Elon Musk talks about the dangers of AI and and some of that in the future yeah. and talks about how you know we are over indexing on artificial intelligence but that could really be you know something that we should also be wary about so what are, are there are there any trends in e-commerce that way that you're looking at which is uh, worrying you a little bit I guess it kind of depends if you're asking me professionally or personally so I've been you know we've been talking a lot about the metaverse lately which right. I, on a professional level I find really exciting um the stuff that's being developed and and the potential of what this space could become on a personal level i find it in a way a little scary um i don't like the idea of a world where everything happens online over a screen i don't believe that's where it's going to go but mm. but some of the advocates of this space you know believe that and it probably will be possible to do almost everything eventually online including shopping going to a mall with your friends all of that stuff will be able to be done online on a personal level that's a little scary to me right. um i also do think a lot of the the environmental impact of that that's you know really i think being brought to light um not mm -hmm. just with the growth of e-commerce but e-commerce itself it has a really negative impact on the environment return rates are like three right. times higher than when you buy something in a store all that shipping and packaging and all of that and you know the fashion industry in particular um yeah the concept and you know and i just actually heard an an interview um a, a, with the author of a new book i think it was called something like the, the day the world stops shopping mm. and he was talking even more broadly about just the impact that our consumption habits have on the environment and it, it's a little bit of a a sticky situation though because so i think the the stat was 70% of gdp is based on consumption that's not just retail that's also like travel and services but and the issue is that if we could reduce that consumption mm. um in america we could drastically improve environmental conditions but redu reducing consumption as we saw during the pandemic has a a really negative impact on the economic condition especially among the the lowest income um citizens of our country right. so you know i think the 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 environmental impact of consumption and how difficult it's going to be to mitigate that and solve it that that's something that troubles me and i and i don't I see there are a lot of little solutions and hopefully those will build up to have a big impact. Yeah, I'm with you. You know the the point you made around return rates especially in the fashion industry, I mean yeah. that is a problem. That is a big problem. I know I came I came from Amazon fashion myself and you know that was certainly an area that we were solving for the prime wardrobe program that was introduced at Amazon. you know we internally also had another program at the time looking at you know why return rates are so high and what can we do about it but you're right people will buy you know number 10 shoe or 10.5 11 shoe and then return two of them back right and it's all yeah. going in boxes uh, in and out and and all that's causing environmental con concerns so and uh, you know i i i i think you're right i think it's it's the, you know the the innovate i'm a, i'm a big fan of entrepreneurship and startups and you know i think you know that's where some of these problems will will get solved and hopefully yeah. 
you know, hopefully we'll see some innovative solutions come out in the future to help reduce the return rate problem through better, you know, using AI to fit you better or something. I don't know, yes. you know, stuff like that, right? Yeah, I mean, that is where some of these kind of metaverse leading technologies, AR and VR yeah. stuff will come in. I also think a lot of the, the stuff that's happening in the resale and re-commerce space could yeah. eventually have an impact. It will take a while to get there, but there is some really innovative stuff that retailers are doing to refurbish their products and resell them. Um, so there, there's certainly points of light, but when you take when you take the big picture, it does get a, it is a little bit disheartening when you think about uh, what it's it's been very exciting to see the growth in e-commerce, but the impact, the environmental impact of that over just shopping in stores is undeniable. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm even just imagining a scenario when it comes to the metaverse where we're all sitting just like this. We have our glasses on, but we are now in a mall, right? Yeah. And, and we are walking around in our house, but we're actually physically or you know, virtually in a mall and we're shopping as a group there, And but we haven't really left our home. And um, I can see I mean, the tremendous advantages in that, but also how scary it can be. <laughs> right. I mean, and I watched um, Mark Zuckerberg's keynote where he right. you know unveiled the rebrand and the focus for now meta on the metaverse and some of the um use cases that he presented were fascinating but also kind of scary i mean you know there was a moment where he really believes holograms are going to be a big part mm -hmm. of the future as well so in his mind you could be physically outside playing chess with a hologram mm. of somebody across the world. So, you know, there are exciting implications for access and democratization to access of resources. Um, but yeah, if it means that we're all just stuck in our apartments behind computers, then I'm not sure that that's going to be an improvement for society. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. In fact, I, I got to tell you, I saw this other video on on um on i think it was like uh, linkedin or something where literally someone's walking in his in his house in his apartment and through the metaverse he's actually simulating the uh, simulating mars like he's walking on mars and so you know i i don't know i you know you can explore potentially other planets in the future yeah. through the metaverse and again there's some really good advantages and use cases of that right like instead of sending you know you know people to the to, to, to mars you know is there a way to be able to uh, to be able to access that environment from from Earth itself and be able to mine it and 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 and, and explore more and so but we'll, we'll you know so I can certainly see some really good use cases yeah but uh, yeah I can also see the the, the downside of it <laughs> yeah definitely Excellent. only time will tell time and will tell I, you know it'll be like many things I bet it will be like social media um, I think there will it will bring many positive things to our yeah. life and there will also probably be negative repercussions as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. So, uh, you know, we are entering the holiday season. We are you know, already in the holiday season at some level. You know, obviously, we've just finished off Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Uh, you know, are you seeing some changes in the trends this year relative to what we've seen in previous years? I know we touched a little bit about it. And what should we expect, you know, for the rest of the year and even going maybe partially into early next year? Are consumer habits changing just given... Now even talks, you know, of course, the, the Omicron is out there. And like, what is, what is the shift in, in some consumer habits, if you can, and just based on your experience? And again, last year is hard to compare because we were in a pandemic, but just over yeah. the years. 
Yeah. I do think it feels a little bit like deja vu from last right. year. I think the one really notable thing that we're seeing this year is uh, the pulling ahead of shopping. So, mm-hmm. so people were shopping earlier than they ever have before. Um, it doesn't, you know, and, and partly because of that, Cyber Week sales were a little bit muted. Right. Um, not not that they did, they weren't notable. I mean, there were there was plenty of sales, and I think the thing to note too is just today the the National Retail Federation actually upped their forecast for the sales growth for the holiday season. Overall, this is still going to be a banner holiday season, most likely with anywhere from eight to 11% growth in sales. So the shopping is still happening. The patterns are different. We're seeing the the importance of cyber week kind of get minimized. Consumers are shopping earlier. Um, A lot of that is because of all of the just concerns right now in the zeitgeist about not being able to get what you want. I think consumers also um, will just have to be satisfied with alternatives. And I think they're prepared for that as well. The other interesting thing um, that that I had seen is that gift card sales of gift cards are increasing dramatically, um, again, for the same reason. So if if people who can't find the present they want are instead buying gift cards, retailers are expecting a lot of purchasing then to happen in January with those gift cards once products come back in stock. So whether some of these behaviors are going to become the new normal is hard to tell. Uh, The gift card thing, I think not. Shopping earlier and Cyber Week becoming less important, I think that might be a trend that's here to stay. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is, you know, how much of this behavior that we saw start last year and, you know, moving into this year as well is really the new norm. You know, we predicted last year that, you know, this is the start to e-commerce, but then we started seeing a little bit of it die down. And of course, going back to our traditional definition of e-commerce, which is, you know, more segregated, but, uh, you know, how much of what we have seen is going to stay and stick versus a good short-term trend because of circumstances in the industry? Yeah, I, it's very hard to say. I I do think we have for several years now been seeing consumers shopping earlier and earlier in the cycle. And a lot of that is being driven by um, kind of promotion wars, the, the big retailers yeah. trying to start their promotions earlier, sooner, have better sales sooner. Um, so I, I think that's probably going to continue to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think things are going to settle back. I, I mean, you can't underestimate the just human tendency toward procrastination. I, I think once uh, circumstances are less heightened, people will settle down a little bit and feel less, you know, in future years, hopefully, um, they won't feel as much pressure to get in early and get what they need um, like they do this year. This this feels like a very unusual set of circumstances these last couple of years. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I do think we're going to see some major disruptions in the supply chain. I mean, just innovation that's going to come out there. I wouldn't be surprised if there's more innovation in just same day delivery, you know, instant delivery and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which I don't know if that helps the procrastination problem or not, right? Like, and you're even more right. delayed right, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the last minute, but we'll see how that plays out. I think supply chain is certainly, um, you know, an, an area that we'll see some disruption over the next few years. Oh, and delivery is a fascinating space yeah. to be watching right now too. I mean, all, 
what we're hearing about just in these last couple of weeks so much is, is this ultra fast delivery with DoorDash and Instacart trying to kind of get in yes. and, and doing these 15 minute deliveries. Right now, it seems to be focused kind of on the food and beverage space, um, groceries. But uh, that is a big, uh, that will really equal the playing, the level the playing field between e-commerce and, and brick and mortar because one of the real advantages of brick and mortar right now is being able to go and have the product immediately. But if you can order online and have it and still have it in 10 minutes without having to leave um, your apartment, you know, that starts to really level the playing field as far as experience. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the times. I mean, I grew up in India. That's exactly how we shopped there, by the way, right? I remember my mom would be cooking and then she would, you know, she would uh, realize that, oh, I need some baking powder or something. And then she would just call up the store and the person would deliver it in five minutes, right? That, That was just the way shopping was. And you could do it there because of the cheaper labor and, you know, some of that. And it's just amazing to see that shift happen here now as part of some of the... As like a new innovation. When as it's a new innovation. Happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's amazing. Yeah, I know I read, I, I read DoorDash's recent announcement as well in terms of just doing these ultra-fast deliveries. I think that's going to be critical. And we'll see, you know, the unit economics on that are kind of interesting to me. How, did the, how does all that come together? But we'll see. Well, and there's a really big geography question too, right? It, yeah. that, that kind of stuff is possible in a really densely populated and densely stored city like New York City. But can you do that in uh, rural Missouri? Probably not, you know? So right. um, that again, it will probably also only be possible in certain pockets of the country, I think too. Until, yeah. until drones, drone delivery becomes a thing. Yeah, yeah. That's another big shift that we'll you know, hopefully see over time. But that also brings me to uh, my next point around labor, right? Because a lot of these a lot of these, uh, you know, services are dependent at the end of the day on on a labor market, which has also been has seen a little bit of a shift. You know, how how do you see that play out? You know, just going forward, you know, access to you know people in warehouses, access to delivery drivers. You know, has that that has certainly shifted. But what are your views on what, how that's going to play out over the next few years? Yeah, I think right now we're seeing a real reckoning um, with the labor conditions in in retail and the the powers in the hands of these employees who are saying that they're not being paid enough, that the conditions aren't good. And and if if, and they are empowered now and they have the ability to walk away from these jobs and uh, we're seeing the impact of that. And I I think it's something that the retailers are very focused on and we see a lot of retailers working to raise their minimum wage. But another facet of this is just the the shifting, um, I guess, you know, swath of responsibilities that retail like store associates are now expected to handle. And uh, a lot of that is coming from the growth of e-commerce. It's no more, you're not just working a cash register anymore. You may have to be also picking orders or taking things out for curbside pickup or handling queries about online orders, the, the amount of, of different tasks that store associates are now having to handle without having any improvement in their conditions or improvement in their wages. It's mm. just reaching kind of a, a reckoning point and retailers are going to have to find a way to create a better employee experience mm. um, if they want to keep staff at the levels they need to, to deliver the customer experience that they need to deliver. 
Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I think you're right. You're spot on. That employee experience that was always a, you know, human resources function, let them yeah. go figure out. I think it needs to become a little more center for for every executive team, for every CEO out there, just thinking about their business and 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 why that's really critical. And irrespective of where you are in the hierarchy of your organization, whether you're the frontline worker all the way to to a, a more senior executive, just making sure that you're you have your employees engaged, you're paying them well, you're you know you're motivating them, like all career pathing, like all that stuff is going to become a lot more critical in my view. Yeah, and also just help. I mean, when you think about it, it's funny. I was talking to a colleague the other day about what jerks some customers can be, and you right. you think of these employees on the front lines in retail and restaurants and hospitality and the stuff that they're told to put up with. This mentality of the customer is always right, and it's it's a great. Um, mentality for the customer, but it, but the customer is not always right. They don't always have the right to treat. I mean, some of the things that these, these associates have to put up with just isn't okay. And I think that's something also that retailers are going to have to um, address is how to protect their employees, have their employees back while still, you know, serving their customers with the level they want to serve them. So tell us a little bit about, you know, just your view on, you know, where this marketplace space is, is evolving, you know, we obviously have these big, more generalist marketplaces like the Amazons and, you know, Walmarts, et cetera, of the world. I've also seen a trend around the verticalization of marketplaces propping up and very niche managed like marketplaces. But, you know, maybe there's an aspect of, you know, digital advertising and these marketplaces transitioning into more advertisement platforms now. So what, what's your opinion there on just marketplaces in that space? Yeah, this has been, I think, really fascinating to watch develop over the last um, year because the pace of marketplace development has just picked up exponentially. I I think it all kind of goes back a little bit to the Amazon effect. It started with a lot of larger retailers realizing that they could do what Amazon did when Amazon decided to launch its own third-party marketplace. Um, And so, you know, just, just by increasing the number of products that they have on their site, but not having to take on the risk of holding and warehousing and shipping those products and the economies of scale that you can build with that and the the eyeball, the, the additional eyeballs that you can bring into your site. And then now we've seen an evolution, as you mentioned, where we're seeing other more niche retailers say, hey, I can do the same thing, but I don't want to just become an Amazon. I don't want to sell everything. I still want to sell a curated selection of products, but I can still, um, you know, have that business advantage of an increased inventory without increased risk that a marketplace affords. And so we just see, I mean, it feels like every week, a new retailer announcing that they're adding on a marketplace. And then as you mentioned, a lot of these larger retailers are also now seeing the potential as Amazon did to uh, add another revenue stream in the form of advertising on their sites. Um, And as they build out their inventory roster and then get more traffic, that just makes that advertising proposition to the brands that are they're selling even better. And it's just kind of an incremental revenue driver for them. So the whole, the, the development in this space has just been, it's really picking up and I think you can see why. Yeah. Now, do you think that, you know, one of the things that that we've seen just in the numbers again is that, 
you know, the third party, third party sales on Amazon continue to outpace the retail sales. Do you think Amazon will get away from the retail business completely and say, hey, we don't, we don't want to deal with inventory or any of that anymore. We just want to be the platform and we are transitioning really into becoming a platform like company as opposed to a retailer. What are your views on, on that sort of shift happening? know if Amazon will do that. They've also, I mean, you worked at Amazon Fashion. They've also had a lot of success with their private label offerings. Right. There are advantages to your own retail operation in the form of margin and control that you do give up a little bit um, with a third-party marketplace. I don't see them moving away from that, just like I don't think Walmart or Target or any of these other large operators would either. Um, they both have their advantages. And I think the power is in the combination. Yeah, yeah, no, I think, I, I think you're right. And especially for some of the larger brands. I know we worked at Amazon when I was there with some really large brands. And that was a very close-knit relationship. The brand itself also would prefer to work with Amazon in a very close-knit relationship. Mm. In those larger relationships, the balance of, there's a balance of power as well in the negotiation. You know, right. the brands are large enough as well that they can also call call the shots when it comes to negotiating terms and, and some of that, as opposed to, you know, for the small people, you know, Amazon has, has a lot of the power. So you'd rather just go onto the third party marketplace, have access to the platform and have control on your own. But in yeah. the, as the brands become larger, I, I do believe that, yeah, there's a good balance of power and it's probably healthy at some level for Amazon to control that. Well, and adding to the brand's power is the entire direct consumer movement yeah. where brands are realizing that they can build out their own, um, you know, connection with consumers through a, an owned e-commerce operation. Um, and I, I don't think they'll, for most smaller brands, I don't think they'll get away from wholesale relationships or selling on marketplaces as well. But brands, because e-commerce and because the way our technology has evolved, it makes it so easy to build out that platform to have a direct connection with your consumers. That does give the brands another avenue where they're not completely reliant anymore on these large retailers either. So let's talk about that a little bit, right? Because the direct-to-consumer movement has certainly taken off and... You know, a lot of brands are realizing that we were already, and, and to the points we were making earlier around omni-channel and customer experience, et cetera, like that is really hard at some level to do on Amazon only. And, yeah. you know, you really want to be able to control your consumer experience. You want to understand your customer, know them, provide them with personalized experiences, et cetera. And your direct-to-consumer is a great way to be able to do that. And, yeah. and so what are your views on, is that space going to continue to expand? It's still a small portion of, of digital commerce as a whole, I, I think the last statistic was like it's twenty percent of total uh, market share. But what's your view on you know how that's going to? Our brands going to do more of that in the future? Yeah, I, I think absolutely, but I don't think they're going to shift everything to that. Yeah. I think um, some of these DTC first brands, these digital startups that have now IPO'd this year. It, it, we actually have a great feature on this today. Um, you should check out, but. You know, they are, they, it has become clear that there are challenges to being DTC only as well. I think brands will absolutely start to build out a DTC presence as a part of their toolbox, but there are things that are difficult to get if you are, if that is your, if your owned e-commerce site is your only connection with consumers, um, you, to get the reach of marketplaces or large retailers, uh, 
with your own site is, is incredibly difficult as everything becomes more crowded. So I think it's, it's a piece of the puzzle. And I think more and more brands are going to add it to their toolbox. But I don't, I, I think even the players right now who are purely DTC are going to start um, diversifying beyond just that. Yeah, no, I'm with you because like we, you know, like we were talking about is I really believe that DTC is again, another channel uh, across this omni-channel spectrum, but you really have to think about a customer experience that spans across all these different channels. Yeah. And it's not an either or, right? Like, well, I'm going to go D2C or Amazon or vice versa. It's, it, you've got to think about an experience across the digital spectrum that includes brick and mortar, that includes direct to consumer, that includes marketplaces exactly. and anything else in the future. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And this is the true now definition of omni-channel where it used to be omni-channel was brick and mortar and an e-commerce site. Omni-channel now encompasses all of these different digital um, channels as well. So a marketplace and, and your owned website and your social commerce presence, all of that is omni-channel. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can imagine someone just going on to Google, searching for your brand or looking for a product, then going to your website, doing some research there, then going on to Amazon, buying it yeah. there. You know, that's yeah, that's, portal, that's, these, a, that's fine, right? As an yeah, experience. That's how these journeys are now. That's, that's what these digital customer journeys look like. They bounce around across all of these dis different platforms and where they actually end up converting ships, depending on what kind of experience they are having. But you want to be where be wherever they are. Right, right. Yeah, and to your point, I was just thinking about, you know, the, the whole, um, you know, customer acquisition on direct-to-consumer only. I mean, that's, it's it's expensive, right? You've you know, got a, you know, yeah. cost to acquire traffic is expensive, retain the customers expensive. Um, and, you know, you get some of those advantages on a marketplace, for example, where they already have the demand out there. Yeah, and they already, they, the customers are already there. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's why it's all different pieces of one larger omnichannel puzzle. Right, right, right. Excellent, excellent. Now you talked a little bit about IPOing of, you know, maybe some direct-to-consumer brands. Are you going, are we going to see more larger digital-only exits in the future through acquisitions, maybe IPOs? How do you see that exit space evolve over the next few years? I honestly have no idea. I really couldn't predict what's happening because the what, what's been so interesting about some of the companies that have IPO'd recently, um, you know, rent the rent the runway comes to mind. Even Warby Parker is that their their valuations are huge. Um, the 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 prices is, are surging, but their actual financials aren't really that stellar. There's a lot of concern about their future growth, about the potential for profitability. Um, but, you know, that hasn't stopped a lot of other big companies from having really successful um, stock outings. You know, it, profitability isn't necessarily, it appears, um, the only thing that matters to investors. So I, I really couldn't predict what's going to happen, whether whether these, these you know, eggs are going to come home to roost or and this is all going to slow down and people are going to start to be more cautious in investing in these companies or whether the potential of what these companies are doing is enough to outweigh some of the kind of concerning financials. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, if you, and some of them also representing themselves as, you know, like we're a tech company or we are a, a right. platform. And, and so they're trying to get some of those valuations when, you know, you're right, you said it, at the end of the day, or just are retailer online right or 
and and I think we'll have to see how that how that plays out. And they're getting you some know, of these high tech like valuations. Some of these tech uh, retailers are turning themselves into platforms, though. I mean, ThreadUp is a great example. I mean, yes. ThreadUp did start as just like a resale platform where they re they sold used clothes, but they have taken the software the that they developed to do that. And they've packaged it and they now sell it as a SaaS solution to many other retailers. So that might not be a total, you know, there might be some truth to that. These companies may have the potential to become more than just a retailer and become a tech company in the way that ThreadUp is doing. Yeah. And just like what Amazon became, right? I mean, if you think about Yes. Go back to Amazon. Yeah. Right. I mean, AWS was all internal and that, you know, became a one of their largest and fastest growing businesses. The third party platform, same thing. Right. And yeah, it transitioned from a, that retail business into a, a, a platform play. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So, Nicole, just to sort of wrap up and, and kind of, you know, end our conversation here, you know, tell me just on a personal note, what are things that excite you that you want to write about things that you want to stay away from? Like what are what what are you fishing for these days in terms of just you know your your you and your team here? <laughs> well, there's a lot of things. Um, I think I think one of the most exciting things, like larger trends that I'm tracking and following right now, is just the increase in commerce channels. E-commerce right. used to just mean a website, maybe also an app. Um, now it is so many different things. It is social media and selling on social media sites, live streaming. Um, and then moving in even to voice commerce, television commerce, um, conversational commerce on messaging apps. And, and so there's so much to, to look at and consider when you start to see the expansion of these channels. It, it's a logistical challenge from a retailer perspective. It's, it, it also is really shifting the mechanics of how we shop. It's a, it's a fundamental shift that I find really exciting to see happen because we are moving to a space where we are eventually going to be able to shop no matter where we are. There is going to not be a need to go to a store to right. shop. You can shop while you're on the street. You click a picture of an outfit you, that you like and pull up a visual search, search results of, you know, similar products. I think that is a, that is a fundamental shift in in how commerce happens mm -hmm. that is really exciting to see that developing um and and the interesting about it thing about it is that a lot of the you know normally in our coverage retailers and consumers are the end-all be-all that's who we talk about mm -hmm. increasingly though the solution pro providers like the technology solutions the the companies enabling a lot of these new innovations are the ones now making the headlines. So we talk a lot these days about Shopify and Facebook and Google and Amazon, where it used to be they were just like, you know, the medium. They weren't what was interesting. And, and they are now also what is interesting because they are the ones creating these, you know, um, this whole new way of just buying things, which is a universal activity. We all do it. So they're shifting the way our world um works and that's really incredible to see happen yeah the experiences you know starts on these platforms right that's where we are yeah. engaged all the day i mean all, all the time that's where we spend a lot of our our you know our our our, our daily our daily time and, and so you know the, the innovations are happening there as opposed to 
um, you know, it, it, as a background activity, as you as you rightly mentioned. So that that's uh, yeah, it's, it's great to see that that's sort of coming to the light too at some level. Right, exactly, and and it is nice to be able to give the stage to a lot of these technology companies that are facilitating um, this change, as opposed to just focusing on the big legacy retail banners and you know. So it's um, it's a really exciting time, I think, in the world of commerce. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, Nicole, how should you know, give us a little bit on your publication. How should people get access to you know, retail touch points? What's the link? How should they get in touch with you? Maybe just tell us a little more about that and, and where should yeah. they all your awesome stuff? Well, um, whatever kind of content you like, we have it. So uh, you can head on over to retailtouchpoints.com. We've got a podcast. We've got, of course, news and features, newsletters you can subscribe for. Um, we have an entire sister publication devoted to store design called Design Retail. And then we also have our major trade show, which this year is combining um, a couple of different conferences and, and expo events all into one that's taking, sorry, I think I said this year, but it's taking place next year um, in May in Chicago. So you can check that out as well, the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo, but it's all at retailtouchpoints.com. Fantastic. Well, Nicole, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. I know I learned a lot and I'm obviously very bullish about the future of commerce. There's certainly some shifts that are happening that we can all take advantage of, but also be wary of, like we talked about, and you know, right. try to mitigate against some of them. Yeah. And you know, we'll keep we'll continue to to follow along and then see how this space plays out. So thank you again for having for, for being on the show. I will see you again very soon. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you again on another episode of Master of the Marketplace with Caspian. Signing off. Thank you. Bye. Through conversations with experts in online retail, with years of marketing, compliance, and inventory management experience, we seek to empower our listeners to master the marketplace. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next time on Master the Marketplace with Caspian.